All right, let me pray for us, and we are going to conclude this series. I don't care if I don't finish. We're done with this uh, series today. Um, just because I understand there is limited. Let's pray. God, thank you for um, allowing us to, to discuss some of these things. I pray we do so humbly, but carefully, rigorously, um, and in a way that, that is meaningful and not, and not simply an academic exercise. And so we do pray for that grace. In Jesus' name, please. Amen. Um, okay, so if, uh, let's see, I'm trying to look around here. Let's see. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, so... So some of you have will have the great misfortune of hearing the final <laughs> Sunday school lesson, having been in Amy's class and come out, and you're gonna you're gonna struggle to have any idea. I feel like what I'm talking about. Um, so what I will do, and for the sake just to refresh everyone else's memory, I'm gonna very briefly review what we're talking about, and that is oh, forget that for a second. Uh, the problem of epistemic peer disagreement. What is the problem? I've got two thermometers, and I give my test my child's temperature, and they both read different temperatures. Uh, do I really know? Given that they're both, they both seem to be gen, gen, generally reliable. Do I really know what that temperature is? Probably going to say no. I've got two money machines. Count money. They're both generally reliable. They count. The same amount of money yield different numbers. Do I, do I know what, how much money is there? Probably not. Probably going to be agnostic. They disagree. What about two mathematicians? Work the same problem. Both have immense respect for one another. Both are confident they're going to have the same answer. They, yeah, right? They, they, uh, but they disagree. They're like, oh, no. They compare answers. I think... Maybe I'm not so sure. I mean, if I thought I was better than you and you were a crummy mathematician, I'd stick to my guns. But I mean, it, make, it gives me pause because I feel like you're just as good, not better than me. So I'm just not going to know. In other words, the problem of epistemic peer disagreement is when we encounter people who are, to all appearances, just as smart, just as well-informed, a peer in whatever subject we're talking about. They're an intellectual peer, now they know all the relevant information you do. You don't seem that you don't have some big advantage of believing on them, right? That's your. It's called the epistemic situation. That's what that is. Your epistemic situation isn't better than theirs, whether to your uh, intellectual ability or whatever. It, it's a peer, peer all the way across the board. It becomes difficult to understand why, if we would give up, why we would be agnostic in all, all those scenarios that I just gave. In the case of disagreement, but it's interesting when you start getting to worldview issues and everything else, no one takes that approach. Why? Do you just always think you're a more reliable believer than me when we disagree? Hmm? We're going to get to Van and Wagen's quote in a second just to review. Are we rational for continuing to hold our positions when we know someone who's equally smart, equally well-informed, equally this disagrees? And if so, why? So there's a rationality problem, and I, and I discussed that. I'm going to skip over that. I have that slide right here. I'm literally just going to skip it, okay? You want to know what the rationality problem is? Go back and look. I want to save our time for this other one. The skeptical problem. The skeptical problem. Um, 
as I was reminded just the other day, this argument from peer disagreement, which is a profoundly philosophical argument. Here's volume one of disagreement. I had a slide on my last Sunday school that had all the books that have come out on epistemic peer disagreement. Serious business. I was I was I went I was joined Ben for evangelism in the park yesterday, and um, I got into a conversation with two Jehovah's Witnesses, and it was great. It was great, great conversation, and um, they want to they want to meet again and follow up. I said great, but it became clear that one thing that they lean on, just like our Catholic friends, is they weaponize this argument against Protestantism in general. And it's primarily against the clarity of Scripture. And the argument very simply stated is this. If Scripture was clear, there wouldn't be so much disagreement about it. Oh, sure, yeah, well, maybe because it's just not the top theologians. Maybe those, when you get to that level, everyone agrees. Nope. Turn to Tom Wright, Tom Schreiner, D.A. Carson, Greg Beal, Kevin Van Hooser, whoever you want, Karen Joves, all the top people. They, they disagree theologically on a bunch of things. They disagree. There's pure disagreement. You can't know. How do you, you think you can know and they can't know? So what you need is an infallible interpreter. Jehovah's Witnesses have the Watchtower Society. Roman Catholics have the Pope. They say, we get out of this problem. We have a unified interpretation. Um, so that is the skeptical threat. Do, do we, and it's, of course, again, also the, the one that everyone has seen this applied is fake news. Okay? Again, rewind to the beginning of COVID. All this information's coming out. One article seems respected, seems whatever, says this. Other one says this. You know what you believe? Nothing, because you don't know what to believe. You're like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, it seems like the different voices saying different things. They both seem credible. I mean, I, I just need to wait till I have more information, probably. I, I just, I'm not going to jump the gun here. Something like that. Or just fake news in general. Well, this happened. No, 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 it didn't happen. Equally reliable news sources. What do you believe? You probably suspend judgment. So this is the problem of peer disagreement. And um, so what I suggested is a solution, and I called it evaluative agnosticism. I said we need to distinguish between two very different claims. The first one is this. One should adopt agnosticism in cases of genuine peer disagreement. The second claim, one should adopt agnosticism if they have good reason to believe they are disagreeing with a genuine peer. Okay, now you look at it and you're like, well, what's the real difference? Is that splitting hairs? No, it's not. I said, uh, the example I gave last time is um, people with contagious illnesses should avoid being around other people. And initially, that's like, well, yeah, of course they should. But what you really probably believe is that people who are aware that they're contagious have an obligation to not be around other people. Okay? You don't expect people to act on things they don't even know. Right? That's critical. In this discussion, even the philosophical literature, that's no, it doesn't seem like people make this distinction. All of the thought experiments simply start with, from a third-person perspective, looking in on people who are ex-hypothesis stipulated to be peers. But in the run of real life, if it's going to threaten our beliefs, we need to have reasons to think that we are engaging with a peer. 
Okay, they aren't the same. I could be talking with a stranger on the phone who disagrees with me, who's a world class in an area where I'm a layman. If I don't know that, that's relevant for whether I'm going to give up my belief or not. For all I know, I could be talking to someone who doesn't know what they're talking about. I need to have reason to believe my, something about my epistemic situation. Uh, not, it doesn't simply have to be that way. Does that make sense? Does, does anyone need to ask a question to make step one make sense? Distinguish between those two claims. Seems reasonable. Okay, then I said the initially difficult pill to swallow is accepting claim two or something close to it. Okay, did I put pillow again? I'm sorry. Gosh, I copied and pasted the slide. I'm sorry. I, I copied and pasted that one. Yes, sorry. It is quite a difficult pillow to swallow. Um, accept claim two. Or something close to it. And I said, does that mean that I'm conceding defeat here? And I would say that in the thought experiment of the philosophy seminar room, and as we'll see later, I'm going to give some examples in real life, yes, I am. In the thought experiment of the philosophy seminar room, I am conceding defeat. Hypothetically, in peer situations of peer disagreement, where I know someone is a peer, I have every reason to believe that we're peers. I'm going to adopt agnosticism. You say, Tyler, what are you? We're losing. You're giving it away, man. You're selling the farm. Aha. That's, but we're not to step two yet. Remember, this is a two-step response. Step two, why we don't usually have good reasons to believe we have genuine peer disagreement on our hands in real life. Now, this is the part. Uh, this is where we left off last time. So that was an introduction. Uh, if you were in Amy's class and you're here and you're going, what on earth is going on? I hope that's more helpful than just starting with this section, okay? So uh, let's can, just to back up, let's consider our mathematician. Um, uh, our mathematician, he could have a couple different attitudes towards another mathematician who got a different answer. Uh, he could say, well, this person is inferior. This is an amateur mathlete. That's what they called him at my school. Isn't that so lame? A mathlete? They don't ever say that. A mathlete. Okay, um, and uh, so this is a, a middle school mathlete. The mathematician, uh, he, he says, I'm, a, I'm in a superior epistemic situation. I'm, a, I'm a, math, a university professor. I'm going to stick to my guns. My answer is right. Okay. Um, suppose uh, he, he's comparing himself to the most brilliant mathematician in the world, however. He says, I'm, I'm in an epistemically inferior situation, actually. This person is the one who taught me how to do math. You know, I'm gonna, they're, they're, I'm gonna either give up my view or, or probably adopt or adopt theirs. Um, and then you have his colleague who is a peer, who's a total peer. And when they get uh, the same answers, you might uh, um, reasonably believe that they would just be agnostic there. But one situation, but the, here's the situation that no one entertains in the literature, and this is the example that I gave. What happens if, if those are the three kind of comparative scenarios he could be in? What happens if the mathematician answers a math problem and then there's an envelope put on his desk with an answer in it that disagrees with him and he doesn't know which category it came from? Yeah, he doesn't know the source. He doesn't, he's not in a, he doesn't have a reason to believe anything about the epistemic situation. He just doesn't have enough information. For all he knows, could be the mathlete. For all he knows, could be the world-class person. It seems pretty obvious uh, and perhaps perhaps intuitions can differ. I'm ready to hear ob objections. But it seems to me that in the absence of him knowing anything about this, he's justified in sticking to his guns. Right? I don't know the source of this. 
don't know anything about who, who produced this answer. And I'm a mathematician, so I'm going to stick to my guns. In other words, he doesn't have a belief about the superiority, the inferiority, no repairs. He just doesn't have a belief at all. He says, I'm not in a position to evaluate. What I want to suggest is that in the run of actual life, and this is what I'm going to spend the rest of our time defending, we actually do not have... I'm going to suggest that we oftentimes do not really have a... are in a position to evaluate whether we're epistemic peers, superiors, whatever. Okay? So that's the rest of the project. That's step two. Because if I get both of those steps, we get out of this problem in most cases. And then I'm going to tell you some cases where you should suspend judgment. I'm going to give you examples where I do, in fact, in real life, suspend judgment because of peer disagreement. Okay? Any questions before I start the second part of this defense? Why we, generally speaking, aren't in a good position to evaluate whether a person we're disagreeing with is a peer? Any questions before I dive in? All right. Here's where all, here's the payload. Okay? This is where, all, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 great, yeah, great point. So, yeah, certainly the, the um, so that is to be an illustration of, um, so there's like a third, third person perspective illustration, like we're looking in on two people disagreeing and saying, I don't know. But then we're saying, well, what if we, we are one of those people, right? It's like, well, if, I, if I'm over here and I think, well, these are peers, I'm not going to know. Does it really make a difference that I'm one of them? It's like, well, that person might have some psychological reasons to continue their belief, but is it rational for them to do so? If I'm sticking to my guns and I know this person is a peer, um, you know, if I don't know this person is a peer, that's what we're getting. That, that's this. It's like, I don't know. Somebody, or perhaps, yeah, yeah, or we're going to see perhaps someone who's not new to Christianity, but we're still, uh, uh, still going to have a difficult time here, Okay. All right, so yeah, absolutely, great question. So first, let's talk about reasons I might legitimately have reason to believe, even if I'm mistaken, I still have reason to believe I am legitimately either in a superior epistemic situation, okay, which is, this is, we're in the philosophy, this was not supposed to be, you know, like, oh, that's prideful to ever think that. I tried to give some examples of it last time. Or I have, have reason to think I'm in an epistemic, inferior epistemic situation, okay? And that, and that, therefore, I'm not a, I'm not a, I would not be a peer. Yes. Yeah. So the epistemic situation, I know some people came in late, is, is um, the situation I am in when I'm believing something and a kind of a total description of where I, my position as a believer includes how smart I am, my education, my background, everything that might be relevant for me forming a belief well. Okay, it could include everything, uh, evidence, how smart I am, how good I am at processing, my experiences. All of that is my situation as I come up and evaluate a truth claim and say true or false. That's the epistemic situation. Okay, is that good? Is it helpful? Is that a confusing term when people hear that? Are y'all like, oh my gosh, don't 
stop saying that. Maybe I should uh, maybe should come up with a different word. That's just the word that's used in the literature. Uh, so I'll just not use that moving forward here. But that's uh, you know, let's just say an inf a superior or inferior um, position insofar as being a knower or, or believing things, something like that. Um, yeah, I have a. Let's just say this: I have an advantage. Yeah, to, to, to be in a superior epistemic situation means I kind of have an advantage on you in getting at the truth here that you don't have. Could be from my experience. Could be from my intellect. Maybe I'm smarter than you. Maybe I could be, I think you're brainwashed and I'm not. But for some reason, I have a leg up in evaluating this truth claim. That's, that's an advantage. And to be inferior would be I'm clearly disadvantaged because you are this things. And to be peer would be we seem to be exactly the same on all these is that helpful? Okay. An advantage. Let's just say an advantage in believing. Okay. So let's talk about reasons I might legitimately think that I have an advantage here. Okay. In, in evaluating this that they don't have. The three most obvious. Intelligence, experience, education. Now let's just be honest. If that's all it came down to, I think it would be a very big problem here. Because let's be honest again. It doesn't take being around someone very long to tell whether they are more intelligent than you, if you're being honest. Um, if they have more experience relative to a certain area than you, or whether they're more educated than you. If that's all that it came down to, then we would just again, Grant Rigney was here last time, I, I embarrassed him with great delight. We'd get Grant and his buddies up at Harvard, and they'd call their friends across the pond at Oxford and down the road at MIT, and they'd all assemble uh, you know, a, a genius convention, and we'd all just ask them what to believe. There would be no such thing as disagreeing with an expert or a scholar or anything like that. Okay? And so there's certainly, yeah, we want to relieve room, and sadly the expert has died a, a slow, painful death. But we want to relieve room for expertise, but appeal to it the right way and think about it the right way. And I think I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to push in here on some of those issues. The three most obvious, intelligence, experience, education. Um, and by the way, everyone needs to admit in the quiet of their heart so they don't sound prideful that everyone has believed these things about themselves relative to someone else that they're disagreeing with in a certain situation. That's not a prideful thing to admit. Every single person's done it. You're lying if you say you haven't. Everyone has said, well, I'm going to stick to my guns because I don't think this person knows what they're talking about. That's an example of this right here. Okay, everyone's done this. Maybe I have legitimate reasons to think so. But what about some others? What about some others? Again, I, I said if this is the case, it's going to be some tough sledding. What about some other ones, though? What about if someone has been trained to think particularly well in conceptual analysis, uh, critical thinking? Okay, they've had a certain kind of education. What if someone has a privileged perspective into something? Um, what, what if because of an experience that they had, a sensation that they had, something that they, they have an insight who knows? Maybe they got a dream, a revelation, a vision. They have, they have a privileged perspective that's just only private evidence. Like no one else could really, it's kind of inaccessible um, to everyone. What if there's a psychological advantage here? Okay, I have a psychological advantage because of the particular situation. It, it takes guts to believe this, and this person doesn't have guts. Okay, it takes conviction to stick to this because it's going to be very unpopular and I have good reason to believe, given the person, I, I've seen a pattern here, and I don't think this person has enough grit to believe. Maybe you, maybe you think that. 
Uh, maybe you think, well, this person has been brainwashed is a kind of an ugly word to use, but this person has been, uh, you know, inappropriately affected by a particular school or a social movement. Uh, the real blue collar version of this is, well, I know you're more educated, but you went and got brainwashed at, at university by the liberals. So the, the cognitive advantage goes to the person who is less, less educated and has less experience in the, because they didn't get brainwashed. Okay, that's, that's, I think I have to confess, I think that's an, an odd way to look at it, despite, uh, the, despite the objective liberal bent of higher education. That's a politically neutral claim. Higher education leans left. You can read every study. But, um, but so maybe someone thinks, well, I know they're smarter than me and more educated and more intelligent, and they have a track record and this, but the, the, the pond has been poisoned because of, you know, where, where they came from. Okay. They've been affected in that way. Um, what about moral superiority? I believe this because I, I think I live a more righteous lifestyle than this person. You say, oh, Tyler, what a, what a sinful thing to say. Well, you know, you say maybe I, 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 this person just continually lives a lifestyle of debauchery and evil, and I don't. In sober-minded self-assessment, I think I walk in holiness better than this person. Therefore, I have better ability to evaluate this particular claim, even though it doesn't have anything to do with my intellect or my education. What about track record? Maybe someone says, I've been in these kind of conversations before. I've got a track record, and once we get to this point, I always see the needle move, so I'm going to stick to my guns. What about exposure to diversity? What about exposure to diversity? Uh, maybe we're equally smart. We've had the same experience with regard to a particular issue and the same education, but I've just heard more voices. Maybe I have a more well-rounded perspective. Even though we believe we're disagreeing, I have a more well-rounded perspective. And so, therefore, I'm able to uh, hold my beliefs with a different degree of, of conviction, whereas this person might be just all in or all out, something like that. Um, I'm sure I've left some out, but, but it seems to me that if someone has reason to believe that they, all things considered, which, as it turns out, might be a very difficult thing to consider, as it has listed all those. As it turns out, that might be a very difficult thing to consider. But all things considered, if someone has reason to believe they, are, they have an advantage in evaluating something here, that they're justified in sticking to their guns. But, however, folks, here's the thing. Remember Van and Wagon. Remember how unbelievable it would be if the reason you were justified in sticking to your guns is that every single time you disagreed with someone, you had an edge. Think how unlikely that is, folks. I know we, 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 tell, or we tell ourselves that kind of thing. But think about when someone disagrees with you and you stick to your guns. And you sit there on the quiet of your heart and you say, well, they are more this, more this, but I'm sticking to my guns because why? Because you're gonna, cause something about them is wrong and something about you is superior. Listen, remember Van and Wagon, right out of this book. I accept a lot of philosophical, philosophical propositions that are denied by many able, well-trained philosophers. Am I really to believe that in every case in which I believe something, Many other philosophers deny I am right and they are wrong and my epistemic circumstances or my advantage in believing is superior to theirs because of some reason. One of those reasons I listed. You might believe that in every such case, this is because some neural quirk has provided me with evidence that's inaccessible to them. If so, is it the same one every time? 
all these evidence-provoking quirks come together in one person, and that just happens to be me. No matter who I'm talking to, there's a different reason. And this person may be smarter, but I've got the experience. Well, this person has the experience, but I'm smart. No matter who you go to, you've got a reason. Always got a reason why you have a little bit of advantage on this person. Well, they didn't listen to this one lecture that I heard in Sunday school. And if they had heard that, they would know I have an edge. I think that if that if we're if, I think that if we resort to having to have reasons to think that we're sunk. Because either it's unimaginably prideful and it's totally unrealistic. It is totally unrealistic. Again, how likely do you think that is? You're going to have to deal with van and wagon. So we need another way out. We need another way out. We need to be able to just say, hey, I don't need to be able to say I'm superior. I just need good reasons to say I, I just don't know. Because then we're like the mathematician who has the, 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 the uh, folder there and he doesn't know. He's justified in sticking to his guns because he's not able to evaluate the epistemic stat, the, 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 the advantage, whether or not he has a vantage or not in believing. He's unable to evaluate it. It just isn't clear. So he's going to stick to his guns until someone demonstrates that he's wrong. Okay. So, uh, again, I said if the only factors are intelligence, education, and experience, we probably could, in fact, know if people were being honest with each other, at least if you've been around someone um, a long time. But what about some of these other factors? We're going to walk through a couple of examples that are uh, that are that non-rational reasons, not to be confused with irrational, okay, meaning foolish, silly, dim-witted, or something like that, uh, but just non-rational, okay. So let's talk about this one. Uh, I've assumed a category, and I'm so thankful no one's asked me a question about it. I was hoping I got to this moment without having to answer the question. Um, I've been assuming that everyone shares in these cases where there's peers all of the relevant information. But what if I disagree with someone over what the relevant information is? What if we have access to the same information, we know the same thing, but we disagree about what parts are relevant? Give an example. Um, and, and some is clearly irrelevant, okay? There's clear. If, if we're discussing the nature of uh, the structure of racism or something, it's irrelevant that um, Pluto is no longer considered a planet. I mean, there's clearly stuff that's irrelevant, okay? Bucephalus was the name of Alexander the Great's horse. Cool, irrelevant, okay? There's stuff that is irrelevant, but what it seems to me that many times there are disagreements about what counts as relevant, okay? So suppose I'm talking with a genius, world-class biologist about the beginnings of life. He's an atheist. He is far smarter than me. He is more educated than me. He has more scientific experience than me. He concludes that life came from non-life randomly and by chance. But here's the thing. I know what the Bible says about the origins of life, for example. Um, an element that doesn't even factor into his reasoning at all. That's not even part of the pool of evidence. He might be aware that that's what the Bible is, but it doesn't factor in. He doesn't think it's part of the relevant considerations. Um, and I have to say, and again, I hope, I hope this comes across the right way. So someone who's a scientific atheist, when I, when I look at the Bible, I probably have good reasons to believe that I understand what the Bible says perhaps a little better than him. Okay? I think that's probably a reasonable thing for me to believe. I'm going to say, well, the Bible says this about life. Okay? So if you want to like put it really crudely, and I don't go, just to be clear, you don't want to go around like doing this in life, but, but it, in, the, in the language of this little example, this person's a superior in science. 
I'm in a superior situation with regard to the Bible and theology. Both of them yield different conclusions, but we disagree what's relevant. So who's the peer there? Who gets to decide like on that one, like which one counts more? Right. But if I'm in this situation and someone's hammering me with a peer disagreement and saying, well, no, you aren't peers. Well, we disagree over what counts as the relevant information. I mean, is this even really a case of peer disagreement? Is it or is it a case where where we're peers? But because we disagree so much on what counts as the relevant background info, you know, the peer disagreement doesn't really almost come into play here. It's hard to even it's hard to understand um, who is in a better uh, position. And obviously, just to be clear, the person, just to be clear for people who are, have not been tracking along, the person believing the Bible, just as the past, as one of our, is in the better position. I just want to be very clear. It's not like at the, I'm talking about interacting with people and rational, I'm talking about a philosophical problem here. Um, but yeah, the person believing the Bible is from the st- objective standpoint of God going to be in, but the point is believing uh, in practice, how does it, what does this look like? So first, uh, disagreement because uh, it's, it's, there's a disagreement over uh, what the relevant information is. I've just been assuming that. What about disagreement because of a more fundamental disagreement, where again, it isn't clear who a superior is? So for example, in light of the, the recent SCOTUS decision, suppose I'm uh, talking and discussing abortion uh, with a world-class medical professional. They're more educated than me, have more experience than me, all the rest of it. Um, you're saying, well, of course, you know, uh, we should have this particular view uh, of uh, abortion, and it's a it's a women's rights issue, and it's women's health, and all the rest, all the things everyone's heard. Um, but as we just start discussing, it becomes clear that she thinks, you know, her right to swing her fist stops at the tip of my nose. So, well, so you, maybe you can't do whatever you want with your body. I mean, you can't hurt you can't hurt me with it. No, oh, okay, yeah. I mean, I can't punch you in the face, right? Okay, so it sounds like what we're actually disagreeing about doesn't have anything to do with medicine and everything to do with whether this fetus, this baby growing inside of you is a a human person with rights and dignity and value. It sounds like our disagreement about whether abortion should be legal or not actually, when we talk about it, boils down to a more fundamental disagreement about whether this is a human person. Well, guess what? As, as, as far as I remember in med school, they didn't have philosophy classes in personhood. Right? So now when we get to that one, if I'm asking this person, it is all of a sudden, who's, the, who's in the epistemically superior situation if you're taking an objective approach to it? Again, not a, well, I'm a Christian, obviously the Christian. How do you evaluate that? Who's, who's better at evaluating in that case what counts as uh, a person, philosophical understanding of personhood with rights. It certainly is not the medical professional. I would obviously suggest in practice it's the, it's the Christian, but I use it as an example to say, here we have a disagreement where this person is clearly a, uh, superior to me in this area, but because the disagreement is because of a more fundamental disagreement where it's not at all clear that, that they're superior, I can stick to my guns and in fact do. Okay, because I believe the Bible is inerrant. I believe it's authoritative, and so I believe I'm obviously have good reason to believe it. In fact, I actually had a um, I'll give you an example that I just had the other day with a, with a former acquaintance, and uh, he said if, if if Christian pastors were really pro-life, they'd tell their congregations to give more money to the government to help out women. I said okay, we talked a little bit. 
I disagree. Oh, by the way, I disagreed with that. Um, I said I want to help women, but I don't want to give my money to the government. And 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 it, we talked about it a little bit. We had a disagreement over the nature of government. What what is the role of government? I told him that my understanding of government is to preserve the primary elements of the Noahic covenant in Genesis chapter nine, teased out in New Testament passages like Romans thirteen, First Peter two, First uh, Timothy two, and you don't you don't believe that, okay? This he is a socialist. So it ended up, we disagreed about how to help women, but we disagreed because of a more fundamental disagreement. Now, I'm not a political philosopher. Neither is he. So who's the peer? Are we peers? I don't know. Again, personally, I don't, you know, he claims to be a Christian, but it was, isn't aware of anything the Bible says about the government. So I was thinking, okay, well, maybe he needs to maybe do some more homework there. So did I, in that case, did I say, I'm, I'm probably going to stick to my guns on this one. Yeah, but someone looking in might say, okay, well, I understand it. You're not a political scientist or a political philosopher. Neither is he. You disagree up here, but it's, it's not clear because it's a disagreement because of a more fundamental disagreement. Who's the superior in the more fundamental disagreement that it depends on? Does that make sense? Okay. I hope I'm not crossing everyone's eyeballs. It'll end soon, I promise. Okay. What about disagreement because of like socially... Uh, Social and psychological blind spots. This is a very dangerous one to discuss. This one gets weaponized, it gets abused, but you have to, I have to talk about it. So let's talk about someone who we share a lot in common with. Say they're a strong Christian. Say they're reformed. They believe the strong view and inerrancy of the Bible, authority, sovereignty of God, all of it. And they support slavery. Like Jonathan Edwards, who maintained the institution of slavery as a method to civilize and evangelize those in bondage. You might say, and, and you have, you probably have, when you look back at Jonathan Edwards and figure out that Jonathan Edwards owns slaves, you know what you ask yourself? How on earth could someone be so blind to that? Am I right? Isn't that what you wonder? How on earth can that happen? And the answer is that the man was blinded as being a product of the times. We can look back honestly. All of us, or no one in here is close to as smart as Jonathan Edwards, okay? Not even close, or, or as well educated. And all of us can confidently disagree with the man about uh, whether or not slavery, slavery is right or wrong. Because we all look back and say that he suffered under a, a, a burden in trying to think clearly about that, namely the time in which he lived. Okay? Um, I, I, uh, I had a woman admit to me the other day, we were talking about complementarianism. Um, very, very briefly, just the idea that qualified men should be elders, that men are to uh, be leaders in their home, that wives are called to biblically submit to their, their, their husbands, but not to men in general, just to be very clear. Wives submit to husbands, church members submit to elders who are qualified. That's kind of the, that's the idea. She was, she was a, uh, candid enough to admit that she says, I really struggle to think about this issue because uh, uh, she was, she, she is, she had seen it abused. She had seen abuse of pastoral authority. Uh, no, actually it wasn't pastoral authority. It was abuse of the, of, of, uh, of that dynamic in the home, in her own home life. She had been a victim of it. She had been the victim of, I'm the head, submit to me and dad doing sinful things. She said, listen, if I'm honest, I just have a very difficult time thinking of just about this whole issue. 
I appreciate that woman's honesty. But what she's saying is, I have some barriers to belief here. They don't have to do with like exegesis of the Bible. Okay? When I, when I meet someone, someone who talks, someone who got burned by the church, for example, they believe this and that about Christians because of the church. Um, what about someone who was way, way, way far on the right politically, got disenchanted and is on a huge pendulum swing way over to the left or the other way around? I mean, there's a lot of both. Left, whoo, no, I'm swinging all the way over to the right. No, right, I'm over to the left. You might, person, you might think that that person is believing some things based on momentum and not by carefully evaluating each claim. Like a room, in a, like a house with a bunch of rooms. The, 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 the front door was examined very carefully, but once they walked in, the other rooms weren't examined as carefully. They just got swallowed up with the momentum. Maybe I have good reason to think that. Yeah, they carefully considered that first claim, but now they're just kind of swallowing the whole thing. By the way, this is what happens with some people with Reformed theology. They got like a good argument for like one point of tulip, and they're like, all right, I'm in, rest of it. Okay, I, I, I happen to believe that person is right. Okay, but just because one point is true doesn't necessarily mean, well, actually, yeah, I'm, I'll show my hand here. <laughs> Perhaps you could say, so let's just say, yeah, so let's just say a definite atonement, because you could be an Amaraldian, a, so, a so-called four-point Calvinist, and there's no such thing, but an, an Amaro came along behind John Calvin, um, if, if, if that's what Calvin articulated uh, um, after Theodore Beza made the five points extremely clear, and he explicitly rejected the L, okay? So, I mean... Someone has, but my point is, someone is, and I knew a guy in seminary, <laughs> he can't, y'all listen to this shift. He was a Rush Dooney, Greg Bonson, Presbyterian. Shift, you know, some of you know who that is, it's just, just, gotta, just, let's, just let it pass for this moment. He, he came to Southern Baptist, to Southeastern, uh, a Reformed Baptist, and then um, a regular Presbyterian, then became a Baptist, then a Reformed Baptist, but then somehow he ended up in Catholicism. He's Catholic now. The man went from Rush Dooney to Catholicism. But you know when you look look in on that person, you think, momentum might be moving the needle here. Okay? Um, so anyways, this is a dangerous to apply because it's easy to say, well, this person just got brainwashed or they just can't think clearly like this. Sometimes it can be a low blow, but you have to admit that this is... This, we all believe things for non-rational reasons we don't want to consider, okay? Um, here's, the, here's the takeaway, and I get to get application. All of those examples, and there are many more. I need to skip some of the examples, okay? Um, all those examples, I would say, uh, when I talk with someone and disagree, do I know that none of those things have happened to them? Do I know that my experiences haven't weighed me down in ways for example, that I'm not aware of? Do you have blind spots? Answer, yes. Okay? Do they have blind spots? Yes. Where are they? Are they one that bears directly on this topic? Is it a relevant one? I have no idea. How am I supposed to figure that out? I'm not in a position to know. I'm not in a position to know. Let me lastly give you an examples of places where I do because of this, and I'm going to get to the application real quick. Uh, suspend judgment because I, for all intents and purposes, I, I, I have reason to believe I'm talking to a peer. Um, I was talking about some, someone who is not, doesn't know anything, very little about science, just like me. And um, he said something about climate change. 
And I didn't even know that that was true. I thought that was false. And both of us looked at each other like, okay, we're both, like we're both idiots about science. We don't know. Okay, I thought this. You know, I thought this. Like, okay, we don't know. That's what I said. I don't know. That's not my lane. So y'all probably, there's people in here know way more about all that stuff than me. Um, we decided that we were, we, it's not like we were both ex, <laughs> yeah. When we say we were peers, we weren't like we were like really smart peers about it. We were just like equally ignorant. But, but still peers. We were equally ignorant. We just decided, okay, my ignorance isn't like greater than yours. He wasn't, that's not what he said. He's like, well, we're both ignorant, but you're a little more ignorant. So I'm sticking to my gun. No, we kind of both, I mean, um, I disagreed with someone about how much a golfer the other day got, um, got to sign with a particular golf organization. Okay. I said 125 million, which is in, in my brother said 150 million. Okay. Which is absurd by the way. Um, but, uh, we're both, we both read the same articles, follow the same golfers. We disagreed. You know what I said? All right. Maybe I'm not so confident about that. I just, I don't know. He got a lot of money. That's what man got a lot of money. I'll go look into it for, I don't know. But in that moment, I didn't think, well, he just, he was so careless with the way he reviewed that information. You know? He read the wrong article, and I read the right one. It's like, I just don't know. Had a disagreement the other day um, with my wife about when the fireworks were downtown. Um, And uh, I don't know, I don't know why she thought it, but she thought that the fireworks were... um, we're going to be on Sunday night because 4th of July was on Monday. And I was like, well, wouldn't it just be on 4th of July? And she said, well, yeah, but except it's on Monday and sometimes they do it on, you know, Sunday so that it's not a weeknight. And I was like, oh, okay, that make that would make sense. And I was like, well, I guess I don't know when the fireworks are. I guess we've got to find out. And then that's what we did. I took out my phone and we Googled, when are the fireworks? So my point is, like, there are cases. We all know that there are also cases where you do end up in a situation where you probably suspend judgment about things. Now, I didn't give these like, and they are, and they are I had, a, just to give a more, little bit more meaningful one, I had a disagreement the other day with someone who I consider essentially a peer, um, for all practical and relevant purposes, on um, the, what, how far can you stretch the uh, um, abandonment exception for a, a divorce? Okay, what counts as abandonment? Does emotional neglect count as abandonment? Okay. Um, my husband gets drunk and slaps me. Can I divorce them? Very difficult. Very difficult. If your husband slaps you, call the police and then call one of us. Okay. We'll show up. But 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 the, the, there's a theological question there, and uh, it was we we disagreed about what counts, what can count as abandonment. And a very real. I mean, you have to apply this stuff, but it's a very real. It was it was an issue of disagreement. Like uh, yes. Oh, is this directly relevant? I say it because I'm I, I'm over time. So it's a great question, but the the question in practice that in the, the real question you're asking, or the, well maybe not you're asking, 
but is um, what psychological role does it play and how unwilling I'm get to give it up? A very strong one. We're talking about rationally, am I entitled to that though? And it's difficult to see what, whether, you know, how core the belief is. It's like, okay, well, that would really like ruin my whole life and how I saw my own worldview and inhabited my own thought life. So, sorry. No. You're not entitled to that. I mean, you, yeah, I understand that you might not, you have your reasons. I have my reasons. You're psychologically compelled to hold on to this. I accept that. You're just not reasonable for doing shit. So you're in epistemic sin. That's what we're talking about. We're not talking about what, what someone could or couldn't give up as a matter of course. Okay. Um, more on that. I need to conclude though. Okay. I know this has been technical. Um, just very, very briefly, I'm going to go five minutes over and we'll start five minutes late because I'm, uh, 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 I'm going to conclude this today. Okay. Briefly, here's the summary. One, here's the summary of my whole argument. Okay. In most instances, adopt, one should in most instances adopt agnosticism if they have good reason to believe they are disagreeing with a peer. Rarely, step two, do individuals have good reason to believe they are disagreeing with a genuine peer because of all of the potentially relevant and influential unknowns? And I will say, when a belief, Ben, is buried that deeply, there, there always become more potential unknowns. So, it, that's, so there is a, there is a, there, that is part of the response to that, right? There's a lot more unknowns there. There's a lot less unknowns we're talking about when the fireworks start that are relevant. More disagreeing about something that's more fundamental, there's a lot of other factors that are unknowns, which is why we might be rationally more inclined to stick to your guns there. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, so rarely do people have good reason to believe that they're disagreeing with the genuine peer because all of the potentially relevant and influential unknowns and in belief formation that are often not considered in addition to cases where it's clear that people uh, are not it's clear that people are clearly not peers, not a greatly, a very well-worded sentence. So in the absence of being able to determine if someone is a peer, I'm usually justified in sticking to my guns until someone can present me with reasons that demonstrate what I believe to be either false or unjustified, at which point I should adopt either agnosticism or adopt their position, okay? That's the, that is the idea. I think this is a very clean, and I, I, I think it's a clean way out of a very nasty philosophical problem. To instead of having to hold to your superiority and you're, you have an advantage in every single situation, um, that you just say, listen, I'm just not in a position to know. And so I'm going to stick to my guns until people give me reasons to believe I'm, I'm wrong. Okay? Finally, how do we apply all this? Number one, we need to believe humbly. We are too confident of a people. We just are. Okay? You, you talk to some people, it's like everything they believe, they believe like the conviction of the gospel. It's like, come on now. Okay? Uh, surely, you know, you got to hold something, you hold some things tightly, but we are too confident uh, of a people. We all, frankly, a lot of us are, believe we are more justified in believing certain things than we actually are. Okay. That, that has been uh, observed over and over and over in many, many studies that people overestimate how confident and justified they are in believing certain things. Okay. And we need to be more humble. We need to read and listen widely and carefully. A diversity of opinions. One of the privileges of being pastor is uh, to, to read a lot, to try to bring good information uh, to, to you all. And I wade through a ton of trash, so much garbage, um, to make sure I understand the spectrum. And occasionally, when you go digging in the dumpster, what do you find? Some gold. So occasionally, when I read that stuff, it's like, oh, that's a good insight there. 
Um, but but you want but you want to expose yourself to a diverse range of views and perspectives and ages and all the rest of it, so that you can so you can understand the spectrum. It's going to put you in a better position to believe. Okay. Number three, assume that you have blind spots. This will help you be a more humble believer. Assume that you have blind spots. You do. Remember, uh, one of my former pastors says, I have holes in my theology. The problem is I just don't know where they are. Okay? You've got holes in your worldview or your ethic or whatever. You just don't know where they are. Because if you did, you obviously wouldn't continue to hold them. We all have blind spots. So let's just assume that and, and perhaps give a charitable, is this, is this person I'm interacting with potentially pointing out a blind spot? Let's see. Let's follow that where it leads. Okay? Four, remember that being wrong or corrected is a growth opportunity. People who are open to correction and learning accelerate in the Christian life and just life in general much faster than everyone else. It just is. Okay, People who are more concerned about getting it right than being right in a conversation learn much more and they develop much more quickly. Okay, And then finally, don't because of the solution I've sketched here or something like it, don't be intimidated by very sharp, witty, quick-thinking, well-educated people with letters next to their name. Listen, here's what I hate. I hate watching a Christian who knows what the Bible says. They have deep conviction over it. They stand in front of someone with letters next to their name. They speak very quickly. They use big words. They have a lot of wit. They have a lot of zingers. They use a lot of snark. The person's very intimidated. Oh, I don't know. I just probably should. Now, I'm not saying. Now, being able to respond on the spot has nothing to do with maturity. Okay? It's just a gift. Being witty and being really, really quick on your feet has nothing to do with holiness. It has nothing to do with Christian maturity. Okay, has everything to do with particular set of uh, particular giftedness. Okay, but do not be intimidated by people who are very quick talking, very large vocabularies, very intelligent, all the rest, because I believe that you oftentimes will have very good reason to stick to your guns in situations, even when people uh, vastly exceed you in terms of intelligence, education, all the rest, for the reasons we've discussed. Okay, so don't be intimidated. Okay, we we have the word of God. It's over. That's the last word. You know you're right. So don't be intimidated. Okay. Thank you so much for the time. I know I went a little bit over. We'll start a little bit late. I did want to finish that. Come ask me your questions. I'm happy to interact with you. And um, yeah, I hope this has been more than an academic exercise. Let's pray. God, um, we pray that we would be humble believers. We pray that we would listen carefully to others. Lord, help us with our own blind spots as we are humble believers, humble evaluators of self. Help us be open to correction and seeing the truth rather than just not wanting to lose an argument to, to, to feel superior or because we want to hold on to our pride. And Lord, we pray that because we stand on the word of truth, um, a sharp two-edged sword, that uh, we wouldn't be intimidated by falsehood, by wickedness, even when the people attacking are extremely impressive. So we pray that you would be with us toward that end in Jesus' name.